Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning again. It is the twenty eighth of February, twenty twenty three. I think that means it's the last day of February. 30 days have September, April, June, and November. All the rest have 31, except for February, which I have to look up every year. But this year it has 28. Yeah, today's it. Today's the day. It's the end of February. So anything that you thought you needed to get done by the last day of the second month of the year, uh, yeah, today's that day. There you go. Just a good uh, checking off the list today. I have a very long list today. What about you? What's on? What unique thing is on your list today? yeah, let me know. You can always text me, 877-933-2484. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, because we always want to be in the Word of God. First thing, let's get ourselves into the Word of God. The Word of God might get into us so that the word, when the world squeezes us, what comes out is the grace and truth of what God has said and who He is, the character and the ways of God. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Psalm 33, verses 4 and 5. For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. He loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. Wow, this is, um, I mean, not that I'm a super big fan of tattoos, but, you know, if you were going to get a tattoo, this this would be a good one. Like, let's write this one on our hearts today. Let's, um, let's write this, uh, let's write this in indelible ink um, on our hearts today. Let's let God sow this word into our hearts. For the word of the Lord holds true. What does it mean for something to hold true? Um, Psalm 119, verse 128, I think is a good good passage to look at as well. Um, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. God's word proves true. It... um, it's steadfast. It's unwavering. It is certain. You can build your life on it. And yes, it's a shield for those who take refuge in him. You can trust everything God does because you can trust God to be God. I mean, I mean, that's the long and the short of it. We can trust everything God says and we can trust everything God does because we can trust God to be God. The word of the Lord is... Um, holds true, that means that um, it's right, it's just, it's measurable, it's godly, it's righteous, it's right. You can trust God, and you can trust God's word, because you can trust God to be God. So the passage goes on, for the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. He loves whatever is just and good. He loves whatever is just and good. Now, first of all, that sounds conditional, doesn't it? He loves whatever is just and good. That's limited in scope. I mean, you could add to that. God does not love that which is unjust and not good. 
Um, And so there's a conditionality here. God loves whatever is just and good, justice and righteousness. God loves that which is right and godly. Um, God loves um, justice and righteousness because God is just and God is righteous. And yes, God is love. All three can be fully true all at once. And so when we talk about God loving that which is just and righteous, what immediately comes to mind? Well, for me, Christ comes to mind. The good gift of God in redemption through Jesus is that I can be covered, you can be covered in the righteousness of Christ. And then the walk off of this passage, the unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. Does it feel like that today? Does it feel to you like the unfailing love of the Lord is filling the earth? Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. But the earth is full of the goodness of God. There is nothing and no one beyond the scope or the reach of God's goodness and God's grace. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth in creation. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth in Christ. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth as the gospel is preached to everyone in all places and all spaces and all conditions and all times. And eventually, eventually, as promised in Habakkuk 2, 4, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and it shall cover them as water, as the water fills the sea. The earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. What a glorious day that will be. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. Let's revel in that for a moment. Nick Pitts is going to join us. We're going to um, survey some of the headlines of the day. We're actually going to look at um, the members of the 118th Congress uh, in terms of how they identify as people of faith. And why does that matter? Why does the faith or the faithful outlook, the worldview of those who serve us in Congress, why does that matter? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Nick Pitts is joining us now. You can find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. Um, hey, welcome back, Nick. Hey, Carmen. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Happy last day of February. <clears throat> yeah. Last day. Coolest month of the year, ready for March to come. That's right. We're marching toward March today. Um, let's talk about the members of the 118th Congress, uh, in terms of how they identify as people of faith or no faith. Um, this is the Faith on the Hill Report 2023 from Pew Research. Why don't you just read us in on this? Yeah, so just fascinating. Pew, yet again, has uh, put out another uh, research project, just uh, kind of charting the religious makeup of congressional members. And as, as we look back, we continue to see two particular trends, right? So if politics is downstream from culture and um, religion is downstream from and culture is downstream from religion, um, it would just make sense that individuals are going to increasingly elect 
officials that reflect their religious underpinnings. And what we're seeing is, is what we've been saying for the past few years, the rise of the religious nuns, right? And so there are an increasing number of individuals, not only within the American populace, but now representative um, representing us in the halls of power in D.C. that are identifying as a nun on their religious classification uh, here. So it's it's upwards now of approximately 20 uh, to, uh, to, to, I guess, 33 um, in this particular Congress. And then it's uh, and that's going if you go back to we'll go to uh, let's look at 1961 to 62, the 87th Congress. That number was approximately 15. So we're starting mm. to see an upward tr- trend in this religious nun movement. Does that matter? Like, does it matter that the people who govern, um, you know, the laws of this land who uh, who represent the people of this country? Does it matter that increasingly they have no faith? I, I think it's something significant. Uh, uh, I, uh, it's interesting just to be able to see is what we know to be true, right? That it that they are simply the reflections of the American populace. What I'm most concerned of is making sure that they're creating laws and policies in such a way that it might be just and true and and, and to make, make it all equitable for all individuals here in the U.S., as Christians, right? I know. I know what my position is to be, um, based on my reading of First Peter two and and First Timothy two, right? I'm to pray for my leaders who are in positions mm-hmm. of power, and how am I to pray? I'm pray so that all men and women may live peaceable lives, uh, right? We're to honor the king, uh, as it says in First Peter. Uh, I think what I'm most concerned about when I think through these things is my posture and what I can do which is wanting to champion values that are allow us to be able to focus on those permanent things and also make sure our elected officials know that they're being prayed for and being prayed in such a way that they might uh, allow, they might have wisdom and might be surrounded by wise counsel so that we might live peaceable lives for the glory of God and for the good of this world. I knew you'd have such a good answer to that question. Thank you, Nick. That's, that's um, very, very well said. I think, you know, I'm, I find myself sometimes just, you know, true confession here, uh, doing a little bit of hand wringing when I not only see the trend in the culture, but as you note, you know, I actually see that trend then reflected in those who are elected to represent a culture that is increasingly Mm -hmm. um, identified as being populated by people who have no faith, who do not believe in God. And I guess part of my challenge is, you know, if in the Declaration of Independence, we we start off by saying we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Like it's hard for me to get any further and really hard mm-hmm. to have conversations about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness if we actually no longer agree that it's self-evident that we are created beings and that and, yeah. and we're created in the image of of God. I mean, it's it's hard to have conversations about how we are together going to pursue life, liberty, and, and happiness, and how we are going to institute a government um, that derives its powers from the consent of the governed if, if, the, if those who are governed no longer believe the primary beginning statement. I, I, I just I – find, I find it increasingly challenging, and so I'm praying for revival. <laughs> 
I just, yeah, there's, there's, I just increasingly yeah. praying for revival. Oh yeah. There's two individuals that are, two pitfalls that I think we can fall into one. There's the Constantine pitfall. And then two, there's the Roger Williams pit, uh, pitfall. The Constantine pitfall is just to assume that we want Christian leaders and to force Christianity upon individuals. That's not what we want. I believe my God is strong enough. Uh, what is it? Mm-hmm. The, the famous Spurgeon line. I don't have to defend the Bible. The Bible is like a lion. It can defend itself. Right. I don't want to force my, force my Christianity on individuals because then I don't think it's always genuine or sincere. Mm-hmm. I want the great God to compel individuals um, through his instruments of his people and their generosity to individuals to draw them to himself. So there's the Constantine pitfall. And then the second would be Roger Williams. And that's that's the idea of forcing individuals, uh, forcing religious individuals out of the state. Roger Williams is the one that uh, cleverly coined up the idea of the separation between the church and the state, but it's not how we think it's to be. The The separation wall was never meant to keep religion out of the out of the state, but rather was meant to keep the state out of religion. It, he kind of used the imagery of a, of a wall that separated a vast chaos from a garden and the garden being this uh, being a uh, religion. And what he wanted and what he desired is he he thought that the state shouldn't impose itself upon religious individuals, but give religious individuals the freedom to be able to allow the seeds of the garden to go be sown into the chaos that is the state so that it might create more beauty and order. And I think that's up for us today. The state has always viewed itself as a as has always viewed religion as something that produces virtue and virtue is a great ally of limited government. And what I want to continue to do is not fall into the pitfall, the Roger Williams pitfall of allowing the state to keep religion from working into this world. But also in turn, I don't I don't want uh, I don't want religion to be forced on anyone in this world because I believe it to be true that it has the power to captivate and change a soul as well as what uh, as well as what Luke said, recorded in Acts four to turn the world upside down. Amen. Amen. So well said. We're going to continue our conversation with Nick Pitts here in just a moment. Um, How are you making a generational transfer of faith in your family? Um, Is that happening? Are the generations that follow you, um, do do they believe what you believe? Have they received what you've received in terms of the good gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ? We're going to talk about the importance of the generational transfer of faith. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Throw me like a stone in the water, watch the mud rise up. Dress me like a lamb for the slaughter, pour me Continuing our conversation with Nick Pitts from the Institute for Global Engagement. Nick, you and I both also read this um, Pew Research piece that 70% of white evangelical parents say it's important, very important, that their kids have similar religious beliefs to theirs. Um, But when it actually comes to that generational transfer of faith, 
um, you know, things are faltering. Can you take us into this research? Of course, with the background of Hank Williams Jr., it's a family tradition going on. We know that the faith component is a family tradition. It dates all the way back to biblical times, right? We remember the the, the beautiful line that uh, that um, that Paul was going to observe in a young Timothy's life about the faith that was passed down to him from Lois and Eunice, his mother and grandmother. We know that it's always been a family tradition that that the parents have a, a key and important role in the faith formation of their child. And what we're seeing, it's reflected here as well in research out of Pew with 70 percent of white evangelicals saying that it's important. There is a great book. I, I can't recommend it enough, but I can probably butcher the last name of the author, Mary Eberstadt. Um, I believe she was out of Heritage. Uh, she has a book out called How the West Really Lost God. And what she called what she writes is that she can she continued to give an emphasis upon what she called the family factor and the role that the family has to play in the nurturing and the development and the passing along of faith and values therein within the child. And what she continued to point to is various data points, which which saw the erosion of the family and in turn the erosion of faith formation in the next generation. Mm, yeah, um, how the West really lost God, a new theory of secularization, which I, I think is now, I don't know, I feel like that's um, that's a conversation that's been going on for a long time. Um, the family factor. I have a friend who calls the family the crucible of faith, like it's the place where, uh, you know, faith is genuinely formed and nurtured. And then so I guess I wonder, Nick, as we see the breakdown of the family um, in the United States of America, um, maybe that, it, I mean, maybe we can point to that as a factor for why we're seeing a rise of the nuns. I mean, if there is if if there is no family that is forming faith, then maybe it should be no surprise that people are arriving at adulthood unformed in terms of faith. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, uh, probably back, I think it was around in the 80s, was throwing his hand up in the air with the reality that 10%, I think it had just broken to the 10 percentile of children that were born into the world today were born into unwed families. Uh, uh, so an unwed, born to an unwed mother. And now that number is 40% um, of children that are born, that will be born today, will be born uh, with an unwed mother, which is just a, a very shocking number, right? If you isolate that out to particular demographics among African-American families, that's upwards of 60%. Um, and so uh, that, that's just those are shocking numbers. Uh, and so it's, it's important for us to see that the, the stability that comes from a family, not from a cohabitating couple, but from a family, a mother and a father coming together, remaining committed to one another and, and, and raising a child in the fear and admonition of the Lord just cannot be understated. And, but like you said, it's not a monocausal explanation for why the, uh, for why the West really lost God. Family's a part and a significant part but it's not the only part. Hmm. All right. We um, we have a couple of minutes or a minute and a half for you to explain to us uh, the uh, the energy department um, changing. It. I mean, energy is your area. So I feel like I can ask you an energy department question. Um, the energy department has now come alongside the FBI in saying that, hey, you know what? The origin of COVID-19 is actually most likely a lab leak. Oh, yeah. So it's it's fascinating. So uh, if you'll remember, I, and I'm sure we're all trying to forget it, 
if you'll remember over the past uh, <laughs> three or four years, there has just been this significant push for uh, for individuals to not talk about the lab leak theory, about how the idea of the coronavirus may have leaked out from a lab and not was transmitted via some uh, bat or some particular type of food or animal. Um, and so now the energy department um, and, and energy department has a, a role to play because they do have um, they have some uh, labs that are uh, contingent within it that have some implications for research and data points that they can look to to see how this might have leaked from a lab. They've now come out and said that they're pretty con- that they are there's a confidence that they have that it leaked out from uh, that COVID-19 leaked out from a lab in China. Now, uh, just full disclosure though there's there's other competing agencies that have not gotten on board with this four other agencies along with the national intelligence panel still judge that it was the likely result of natural transmission and two are undecided right now Uh, but the energy department joins the fbi in saying that it likely spread via a mishap at a chinese laboratory and i i guess we can get it it's easy for us to get into the politics of this and i i think that that's a part of the conversation to play but what i'm really what i'm really um encouraged by is i i know that it's seen as a byword to flip-flop to change your mind but if you're not changing your mind then i i really question whether you're entertaining new information when it becomes available um, there's a, it's important for us to think, to, to be able to ask questions of information when new information is presented to us, but also realize that there are certain things that there are established answers. And so it's important for us to ask questions, but it's also important for us to accept answers. And the lab leak is still a question with new information that becomes available regularly that we need to continue to think through because no one, and I repeat, no one wants to endure what we've endured over the past three years. And I think we need to get to the bottom uh, of why it happened and where it happened so that we don't repeat what happened. Yeah, we want to seek the truth um, and we want to... uh... We don't want to put our heads in the sand, like regardless of what you think right now, um, we want to follow the truth where it leads us because as people of truth, I mean, discovering the truth and then conforming um, conforming our actions and behaviors to align with the truth like that. That's who we are as Christians. And so, yeah, I th- thank you so much for um, bringing us around to that point. Nick, as always, a delight. Thank you so much for being here with us. So good to be with you, Carmen, and hope you have a great National Tooth Fairy Day. Really? National Tooth Fairy Day? Yeah, oh. you always bring us a little treat. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's happening. So good. The Molinator. <clears throat> the Molinator. Nick Pitts uh, from the Institute for Global Engagement. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. So one of the things that I was reading at the end of last week um, was this concern in some of our major cities across the U.S. that uh, law enforcement had been informed of a planned, quote, day of hate against Jewish people. And I am thrilled to report that um, other than having synagogues that were uh, on uh, the Jewish Sabbath, there there was no violence. And so I want to celebrate that. This, uh, quote, National Day of Hate Against Jews that was planned 
by white supremacists um, and triggered sweeping warnings from law enforcement and Jewish security officials. Um, well, it actually came and went without incident uh, this past Saturday. It's a, I think, important reminder for us that there are those who harbor hate, deep hate toward particular individuals. And if you're, you know, if you're a student of the Bible, then you know that um, the hatred of the Jews has has been something that has persisted throughout human history and, and persists today. Certainly, we um, remember with deep grief uh, the Holocaust of a generation ago. Um, but that hate persists today. And so one of the reasons that we frequently talk with Luke Moon um, here on Mornings with Carmen is because Luke has a deep love for the Jewish people, a deep love for Israel, um, and works with an organization that really is seeking to um, develop peace, bring peace through the development of significant relationships across religious identification, particularly among Jews, Muslims, and Christians. And they do that um, throughout the Middle East, and they do it right here in the United States. So Luke Moon's going to be back. Here's the good news. We're not talking about a planned day of hate because it passed without incident. And so we're going to talk about some other things looking around the world with Luke Moon. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet, they'll cast their golden crowns. Luke Moon is back from the Philos Project and Providence Magazine. Good morning, Luke. Good morning. Good afternoon from where I am. So, <gasps> where Where are you? Where are you? Where in the world is Luke Moon? I'm I'm in Israel again, Carmen. I love I'm that. In Israel again. I know. How do, How do you, How are you finding things in Israel? Well, it's a it's a little tense these days. There's, there's some violence happening, but I'm I'm at a conference. It's a very interesting conference of of Jew, Jewish organizations from around the world. One of the only non-Jews in here. And and it's really interesting. Like there was a guy talking today about the fact there's like 5,000 Jews in Denmark, you know, and they're, most of them are over 60. And, you know, what, what are we going to do? And what do you recommend we do? And it was a, it was kind of sad because there's a lot of places, particularly in the Middle East, where that's the same question that Christians are asking. And it's, uh, it's, it's very sobering when you think like, you know, uh, like your community is, is dying off. And like, you know, I, I don't, I don't think about that very often. So it was very sobering thought that I, that, that was presented earlier today. Okay, well, can we stick with that for just a moment? I know it's obviously not in our in our notes, but um, so I I feel like that's such a um, such a different question for right. a Jewish for a, a Jewish community to be dying off because like it's really not a religion into which people convert. Right. Um, right. You're born into it, and so that's one conversation. The fact that many Jews now make Aliyah and and actually move to Israel, like that's a mm -hmm. part of the conversation. Christianity uh, is is an evangelical faith. Like it should be reproducing itself in places where 
the threat of it dying off is, you know, it always exists. But then there ought to be this evangelical fire among believers to share the good news of the gospel with others and invite people into the faith. And then, yes, we are engrafted by Christ into. <laughs> right? I just it's an interesting right, but, conversation because it's a different one. It is. But here's the thing, Carmen, is that like there are I mean, when we started, I mean, we've known each other. Well, like come on by 10 years now. When we first met, there was probably over a million Christians in Iraq. Okay, there's probably 125,000 right now. It's amazing. Like, and and I mean, that's obviously there's you know like the underground church or there's the Muslim black background believer churches, but that's like those are still you know and like the you know the church in Iran is growing, but like there's you know the above ground church is really small and stuff like that. You you have that. But in terms of like the like the the ancient and historic churches, it's like decimated. There's nobody left, and it's only you know we're getting to this. I mean, it, you know, in in same numbers, it's almost it feels the same. And I can feel like that's the mm. I could feel the kind of anxiety that um, the gentleman was facing. Like he mm-hmm. just you know it's there's this. And that's Europe, Carmen. We're not talking about like some far off land, but it's like, you know, there's a sense of like, oh, Europe is is kind of like uh, it's it's part of it's part of Western civilization. It's one of us, right? And the fact that there's this, you know, like the Jewish people in that area are are they're they're thinking about what to do. And mm. and uh, the fact there's only five thousand of them in a country. I mean, the guy who runs the largest pro-Israel organization in Germany, he said, "Yeah, yeah, I run the largest," and he, he has sixty five hundred members mm. in, in in the largest pro-Israel organization in in Germany. And that's like, I'm like, wow, that's 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 Europe. And like, you know, it's it's very. I don't know. It's been I've been struck. I you know I usually go to meetings where conferences where I know like half the room. Uh, I'm in a conference where I know probably like ten percent of the room, which is really refreshing, mind you. I'm hearing from a lot of people I've not heard before, um, and the stuff that's coming up is stuff that you know as as a Christian who's an outside observer, um, it's just it's 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 really. Um, it's just sobering to hear these thoughts and think about places in the world that I know are facing similar challenges. Like, and, and I think, you know, to, to take this point one step further, there's, there's the difference between a, an ascendant church and a descendant church, meaning Mm -hmm. like, you know, you read in the, in the, in the book of Acts, the church going out and the, you know, the, you know, the, the, you know, the early days of, you know, disciples preaching on the steps of the temple and 3000 coming to faith. Like that's an ascendant church. There's a, there's an energy there. You're pushing back uh, the, the darkness. Right. But there's a lot of places in the world um, where the church is in, is in, is a descendant church. I would, I would include Iraq, most of the Middle East. Well, Iraq's big part of that. Um, uh, you know, a lot of parts of Europe are in that mood. There are parts of the United States, particularly where, you know, I live in the Northeast. It's um, where where the church is being kind of pushed back. 
And I think it, there's a little, it's, it's those kind of the, the mood around those are, are very different, right? The ascendant mm. church is like, is, is energetic. It's like mobilized. It's, it's on fire. It's growing, you know, whereas the descendant church it's you're losing and you're losing, um, you know, power, but not all, not all power is bad. Sometimes power to survive and have food on your table is a good thing. Right. And like they're losing influence, the ability to protect themselves. They're losing, uh, the, the relationships that help, you know, ensure their survivability. And, and I think it's, you know, I, I don't want to, I think there's a bit of humility when we think about like the church globally, um, you know, and, and there, there, I, I've often heard people, you know, almost look longingly, well, you know, uh, the, the church in China, they're a minority and they're, you know, and they're, they have such strong faith. Yeah. Well, the thing is that like the church in China is an ascendant church it has like, mm. there was no church in China. And so it's growing and therefore it has that, growing mentality but you know in places like you know parts like i said parts of the u.s and, and europe it just it doesn't feel like growth it feels like decay you're you know it and it's it creates a different mood that's that's bottom line and it mm. takes a complete you know like almost a starting over to get that ascendant mood back but right now there's a lot of places where it's descendant and i think that's what the jews are feeling in Europe in particular. All right. As we're listening um, to Luke reflect on his experience, I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering, do you feel like as you're listening right now, do you feel like you're at a part of an ascendant or a descendant church? That's a really good question. Um, And it does affect our mood and our mentality and our outlook and our sense of self and our sense of power or influence or our ability um, to, uh, to bring change in the communities of which we are a part. So, Go ahead and text me. Do you feel like you are a part of an ascendant or a descendant church? I guess you could just uh, text the letter A for ascendant or D for descendant uh, to 877-933-2484. Are you resonating with, with what Luke is saying? Because, um, Luke, as you're saying that, um, I I recognize that I feel like in my local church, I feel very much a part of something ascendant that is... Mm-hmm gospel preaching and um, growing and energetic. And I was even thinking mm-hmm. on Sunday, uh, like, like we are, we've become like this singing church, like the people in our church are like singing in the fullness. Okay. Like it's so great, right? It's a very okay. different energy, very different energy than I have experienced in some other um, local expressions of the church. And I- as you know, I would love that. I would yeah, love I know. That so I know. You, you would totally love it. I know. You would you would love it. Um and um and yet I recognize that when I sort of look at the statistics across the US and when I talk with people who are in churches where they're struggling to decide whether or not to close their church, right? Like mm-hmm. like yeah. sell it off. Um, you know, and yeah. um that there are places where the church feels very descendant. And um, that was certainly my experience in a prior denomination, like, right, that you you are in, yeah. you might be in, in an ascendant or a descendant local church, you might be in an ascendant or descendant denomination, and you might be yeah. in an ascendant or descend, de- descendant period of time in a particular country in terms of 
the expression of Christianity. Um, those are yeah. really helpful and healthy observations and good things for us to reflect upon. All right, taking okay. a really then, super quick. Okay. Hold on, I'm going to I'm going to fill you in on the survey coming in. Um, okay. So far, uh, we have. Um, uh, people saying locally, ascending church, ascending church, ascending church, Mary descending, um, another uh, descending, but a couple of more ascending. So lots of folks texting in um, on this question. Um, and then one saying, I'm not only in a descendant church, my church is almost dead. Um, yeah, we we get that. We note that. And um, that's the that's the conversation that we are spontaneously having right now with Luke Min. Um, yeah. You can text me. Do you feel like you're in an ascendant or a descendant expression of the church where you are? The number is 877-933-2484. You can just text the word A or D if you want to, or the letter A or D um, if you want to. We're going to return to this conversation with Luke Moon in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. There's always a reason to always choose joy. All right, in 2019, which now reaches back a couple of years, I realize that, but it's the it's the data that I was able to pull up during the break. In 2019, 4,500 churches closed their doors in the United States of America, and 3,000 new churches were planted. Now, not all of those 3,000 church plants will actually thrive and survive, but um, even just the basic math there is in the wrong direction. If 4,500 churches closed and 3,000 were planted, um, you know, then we're we're driving in a negative direction in terms of local expressions of the church in the United States of America. Estimates are that some hundred thousand churches in the United States are going to close within the next decade. Um, that's a massive um, decline. That'll be a massive decline in terms of the places and spaces where the church has local expression in the way that we think about it today. Luke Moon is with us, and we are having a conversation about a conference that he's attending where um, folks who represent Jewish-aligned organizations, they're all meeting in Israel, they're from all over the place, and they're talking about, you know, their experience of decline um, in particular places around the world and that experience. And Luke is likening that to the experience that Christians are having in lots of places around the world as well. So we're talking about the ascendant and 
the descendant experience that we have, um, depending on our social location in the church today. And I am doing a, um, you know, very uh, impromptu and unscientific survey on the text line. Um, and so you can text me at 877-933-2484. Do you feel like you are a part of an Ascendant A or Descendant D church experience today? We'd, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Luke, uh, there's a, a pastor who is always listening. His name is Bob. And he has texted yeah. in and said, the church that I served in my third call just voted to close. Um, so their last Sunday will be the last Sunday of May. Um, I look at yeah. that and I say, wow, right right there um, yeah. about the time when we'll be celebrating Pentecost, a church is going yeah. to be, a local expression of the church is going to be closing its doors. You've been, um, you've been in a lot of places um, around the world and you have communed with a lot of Christians and, and Jews yeah. and Muslims as well. It, just talk with us about sort of the, um, the sense that you have when you're with a group of people who genuinely feel like their faith expression is about to um, be extinguished in a particular place, yeah. like what, what are they well, feeling? It's, it's, it's really hard. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a sense of like, you know, on the, on the pastor side, like there's a church in, in, in one of the small towns in the Palestinian territories over here. He's a, he's a Catholic priest who has like, on a on a Sunday, you know, four or five people come, um, and he we've met with him several times, and his he's just very tired, just very tired, yeah. feeling like, you know, like where's God, you know, that kind of thing. And I and I it's it's heartbreaking because at the same time, like you know, there's other parts of. I mean, I, there, I saw there was a guy who had on a like did a statistic. I saw a video of um, of of the the Messianic Church in in Israel, and he said there was you know in the in the seventies. I don't know which year specifically. It's seventies. There were six families, six Messianic Jewish families in the country, and now there are thirty thousand. Okay, yeah. like that's that's huge, and I remember even. Like when when the first people started showing up in Nepal as as like the first like one of the first converts in Nepal was like 1981, Carmen. And and by the time I showed up in Nepal in the early 2000s, there were like 100,000 believers. And which is which is like those are places where I think, you know, that church feels probably ascendant. Yeah, they're persecuted. They're. They're, you know, it's, it's hard, but it's hard in a different way than when you like, when you have a building that is 300 or 400 years old and you have five people in it, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, that's such a different feeling, right? Like you're trying to like, how do we, you know, like you're trying to figure out, you know, do you rent at the local school or you rent at the you know, is there a place that you can gather, you know, or like no one will rent to you. So you gather in the field or whatever. There's that kind of like adventurous faith kind of thing. And then when you, like I said, when you have a building that's hundreds of years old and you're like, it's completely empty and you're doing the stuff, but you're just alone. And I was part of a church that, that closed and it was hard, Carmen. It was Mm -hmm. like, 
we we um i it took us a like a year or more than a year actually to find uh like another church where we just felt like you know we just kept you know this is not quite it, it just it was hard it was hard to it's hard to you know because you had something you had a like you were part of a community and you kind of like you liked the style you settled into it and and then it's like you don't have it anymore so it's it's a very but the other thing is that you, you know you read through church history um you know and there's some there's some great books where you know they'll do you know the 2000 years of church history and the thing that you can notice is there's almost like this like um it's like breathing, right? Like you're you're breathing in and you're breathing out, right? That descendant is like, you know, the the breathing in, like it's coming, like it's your your lungs are kind of well, I guess they're filling, so it's the opposite. But it's like, you know, the the church kind of gets pushed into a spot, and then all something something happens, and it's oof, it goes out again, and it and it takes more territory, and stuff's revived, but then, yeah, and, and so it's it's not always in decline it's not always ascendant um you know but the it's you know it's those periods where it, it can be it can be really great it can be really hard i mean we like you know my staff was we do a lot you know on the fight against anti-semitism and a few weeks ago we just we had a great video and there were some great articles about the stuff that we were doing and my you know my staff that works on that with me was just super excited and was like yes yeah, it's amazing and then the very next week they were both like wow i'm just so i'm exhausted from what i'm seeing what i'm reading and 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 i was and i told them was well, it's funny cuz it's like it's like you know in elijah he, he had the prophets of baal and he beats jezebel and then he runs off Right. And it's like, woe is me. I'm the only one left. Is there anybody else? And, you know, God feeds them with a with a raven. Right. Like there, so there is that like when you go from these moments of very high and then, you know, and then the valley comes and then you're just, you know, it's it's hard to be in the valley. But then, you know, the next you, you don't you don't expect you don't know. I mean, who would have thought two months ago? that there would have been like this like revival in Asbury Will, College of all places, yeah, Wil right? Wilmer, like, Kentucky. Like we wouldn't have we wouldn't it, have projected that. Yeah. Right. And and the guy even even I mean even it was so glorious is the guy who preached the sermon that started it was like called his wife. Well that sucked, right? <laughs> and, and, and and yet it was it was like poof. and you just never know. That's the glo that's the great thing of you know, of, of God is, is, is that like he is in both of those moments, right? He's in the moment when you're like, wow, this is, this is hard, hard work. And I don't know, like, I don't know the path forward. I'm tired, you know, and, and God's showing up in the stillness and with Ravens. And then, you know, there's, there's moments where he's just like, you like, you feel the wind at your back and you're just, like it's just everyone you talk to comes to faith. I mean, I've been in both of those places where it's just like it was like it's almost like that was too easy. Like it's like uh, you're a little nervous that people aren't actually getting saved because it was so easy. And then other places where it's like like no matter what you did, it was just so hard. Like it just yeah, dry it ground. Just, you know, dry yeah, ground. And, and, parched. Yeah, partially. Yeah. Hey, so, Luke, we gotta we gotta leave it right there. Let's um okay. let's let's walk off with this from uh Matthew chapter sixteen. 
Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. So we are always a part of an ascendant church, even in those periods of time when we feel like, when we feel like episodically and momentarily, we're a part of a descendant one. We're ultimately a part of the ascendant church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Luke, um, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Blessings on your trip. We will catch up with you you. um, again soon. All right, we have about run out of time here this uh, in this first hour of Mornings with Carmen. But, you know, here's the good news. We got another hour up next. Um, and, yes, we're going to talk about the headline news and bring the mind of Christ to bear on all of it. Thank you so much for joining me in this hour. You can connect with us at MyFaithRadio.com, and you can get the links to everything that we talked about today in the first hour in the show notes, which will be available at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you download the podcast. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.